got too deep into just kind of like bullshitting, which is, I feel like this has been great content up until now, but. Um, no, I think, I, I think definitely this, this will be enough to cut into some, some other episode, but dude, we got to talk about Moon Knight. Cause yeah. it's been killing me to not talk to you about it. So this will be, we're going to release the, the first mega Marvel episode and then the Moon Knight episode and then phase two. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing too. Like, I feel like with the phases, those could be kind of just like whenever they don't have to be like right in a row. Cause it is kind of like, you know, I mean, these have been out for a while, you know, there's no one, yeah. no one waiting, no- <laughs> to hear this, you know, <laughs> Are you saying this isn't relevant? <laughs> are, you, are you saying it's, that it's timeless, topical? which I feel like is better than relevant? <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> Look at Spin Doctor over here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Motor Mouth Podcast, the podcast where a lot of great ideas go absolutely nowhere. They've never gone anywhere. How are we continuing? <laughs> my name is Joel Tyree, and with me, as always, is my esteemed co-host, the ghost of Tim Gerard. Hello. We don't need reverb. You're just a ghost. There's no, there's no yeah. echo where he is. Okay, you cannot be a ghost without echo. Stop discriminating. I feel like this should be the opposite of of reverb. It should be super dry because you know I'm not I'm not on just, the dimensional plane. You're sucking the audio out of the room. Right. <laughs> See, comedy gold. This little bit. <laughs> okay. Normally we do two topics center and insanity leaves, but not today. Today we're talking about Moon Knight for the third fucking time on this podcast. <laughs> oh, it's so good to be me. Um, Tim's finally seen the series, everybody. Um, I did some reaction stuff to nerd uh, for Nerds That Geek, so that's on YouTube. I got to do an interview with one of the hair and makeup people, not the like the department head, Donald Moad. Um, and Tim has seen the series. Did you get to see? Did you watch the interview? No, not yet. Okay. Ooh, that's, that's too, that's too self fucking for me to have you watch it and react to you reacting. <laughs> I'm not going to say I didn't want to do it, but I'm just going to say we're not going to do that because <laughs> I have a little <laughs> bit of self awareness. <laughs> okay. So Moon Knight season one or the mini series they haven't announced the season two they're keeping it in uh mini series contention for the emmys i guess that's what i'm telling myself i don't know if we'll get it a second one but mm-hmm. all right tim you you like i've talked about this to no end so i'm really interested to hear your thoughts i'm going to have you drive for a minute and then <clears throat> oh, okay I'll, I'll fill in the gaps a little bit <laughs> so yeah so first off um you know and I, i've said before i won't go into a bunch of detail about this but like you know one of the things i've said before is that there are so many comic book characters that i know so much about it is nice when 
you know, like, like for example, guardians of the galaxy, like I knew nothing, almost nothing going into them. Cause I wasn't interested in the comics when they came out when I was younger. Um, so it's cool that I, that there are some comic book aspects that I get to go into kind of cold. And this was kind of one of those, like, you know, I think, you know, I think we've talked about before, like I've liked the idea of moon Knight, but, um, my first introduction to him was with the, uh, the first series of Marvel trading cards. And it was like, wow, this guy's really cool. But like up until that point, I had, I don't think I'd ever seen him in a comic book. A lot of the comic books that I had seen him in since then, I was just kind of like, all right, these are kind of meh, you know, um, usually in the very, very back of the, the infinity gauntlet or Infinity yeah. War fights. Like he's a little speck with little red and like he's by Spider-Man in the very, right. Background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was always like hopeful to get some kind of like good Moon Knight stuff. I wanted to like the character. I didn't dislike the character because I had, you know, not stumbled upon good stories. Um, but, but yeah, like I don't know a lot about him going into this. So it, it wasn't like, okay, I better see this, 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 and this, you know, most of what I know about him is like stuff that you've told me about. And I've, I think I've read some of the older comics. Um, so yeah, so it was really cool to kind of, know some tidbits but like know that okay some of the easter eggs like i'm not going to catch or some of the references i'm going to be like well, what does that mean so so anyway just to kind of preface going into it um i really liked and i think we we mentioned this briefly one other time because i told you i started it and it was like the opening scene with ethan hawk like drinking the water breaking the glass putting the glass in the shoes we're just like oh man like that's that's fucking badass that's like that's almost even more badass than the guy and it was at um I can't remember if it was Angels and Demons or... Uh, oh, yeah. Or, uh, I think it was Da Vinci Code. Code. Yeah, with the guy, oh, like, flying flag himself. Yeah. Self-flagellation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, like that, this was, like, way more badass than that. I was like, wow, I was like, it's like you, you took Da Vinci Code and Die Hard and put them together. Said, like, this is Ethan Hawke's character. <laughs> that was his idea. That wasn't in the script. He came to the directors with that, and they were like, this is why you hire Ethan Hawke. <laughs> and that's the thing. They pay it off. That Foley department deserves all of the, the awards. Because every time that man stepped, no matter where it was, oh, my God. When they're in, in the camp, like with the, the, the area that has the, like, shelter, like, where he's doing stuff. And the girl kicks the soccer ball to him after speaking really questionable Mandarin, which is the one problem with this series that I've seen. Um, is is the pronunciation of Mandarin, but they she kicks the soccer ball to my man, and he just returns. It's like you don't play soccer in those, not in not in not in the Death Crocs. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, like the the, the foley. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. Where it's like, oh yeah, you know how like you know you got to do the the sound for you know, like oh yeah, we got shoes. It's like okay, do you have broken glass? Like we you know like what? Like yeah, like we don't just need like shoes creaking on boards or we, we need we need glass so get to fill up some of those shoes with glass like i want some like fuck. old industry professional at the back smoking like out the door because he could still get away with it he's like is hawk in that picture that sounds like ethan <laughs> like, <laughs> i want it to be like everybody's like oh shit that's a really strong choice oh that's really cool is that ethan <laughs> you got the glass in the shoes yeah <laughs> That's my move. <laughs> Thought of that sixty-three. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was so badass. It was such a good way to to start the show. I mean, you know, and and it's interesting too. And like, I mean, I, I feel like it comes into it's a it's a perfect metaphor, you know, for that that idea of like 
you know, oh, I need to, I need to suffer in order to make God happy, you know, like, and, and it's like, it's, 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 it's such a great way to just instantly like encapsulate like what that character is about. Um, yeah, you, it's you also know interesting. everything about him in that yeah. sequence. You, you've learned everything about that character's motivation. And I mean, it's to Ethan's credit that he maintains that fanaticism the whole way through. I, oh, that's yeah. one of my favorite moments is Amit's like, your scales don't balance. And Ethan, you can see behind his eyes, it hurts, but he, he's like, take me out. Right. We have to spare the world the damage I would do. So like a zealot that believes his shit, that's not just doing it for personal gain, not do like that is the shit. I was like, oh, what a strong choice. This is a different, this is a horse of a different color. This right. guy can't be reasoned with. He's formidable. He's manipulative. He's abusive. He's also a victim of abuse. Like I just incredible characterization. And that, I mean, like a nothing character in the comics. He's in one issue of the second run, and he, he's a doctor who's uh, uh, basically a Nazi scientist who's uh, inflicting pain on people to try and release this kind of rigor mortis that's set in into his face. That's the Arthur Harrow in the comics. Oh, okay. has, like, so this guy is just, it's an amalgam of a bunch of different influences from different Moon Knight villains, some from Sun King, there's some uh, of Dr. Am, uh, Emmett Amit in the comics is his psychiatrist, one of his psychiatrists, and then uh, Haro. So, like, it's an amalgam of these different. Nice. Things. Yeah, and I, I feel like that's a great way to do it, too. Yeah, because like you said, like, oh, there's this one character mentioned once, but it's like, oh, if there's a piece of that and then all these other things, you know, I feel like that's the way to do it. I mean, especially because in general, like with comics, there's so much material you're, you're never going to fit all of that into a film or TV show. So you need to kind of combine stuff to, to get it all in there. Um, and that was kind of thing. Yeah. So again, like I didn't know anything about that character. So it was, that was one of the first things that was nice to go in cold where it was like, I, I don't know this character, but now I know this character, you know? Yeah. It was, I, I also love too, like the, the, and this was an early twist, but the fact that he used to be one of the avatars of Khonshu, like, I love that. I love that. Like how, you know, when he's like, Oh, is he saying this, you know, Oh, you can hear him like, no, but you know, he said that to me too. Like, it's like kind of really it's a privilege. I no longer have. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, so the fact that like, he's not coming at this perspective uh, from a place of ignorance, you know, um, which I think makes, yeah, like it, it gives him this credibility and makes him, I think a more compelling villain because, you know, you're not, you're not getting this point of view that, I mean, not that you as the viewer can relate to him, but through, through Steven at that point, yeah. you can, you know, relate to him through him, you know, through his eyes because of that, because it's like, Oh, like they're finding a connection with each other. Therefore I'm finding a connection with him and, you know, and seeing his point of view. And, you know, there's also a great switch that happens where when he is Dr. Harrow in the psych ward, mm -hmm. like there's gravitas to that character. And, as sinister as he is and as on edge as you and Steven and Mark are in that seat, like whenever he's like the orderlies come in, he's very calm. Don't hurt him. Are you okay? He's not right. after it. Like it's so, he plays it so quiet and so gentle in comparison. And I mean, the whole thing about him is just like 
a stone, steady, doesn't move, just like steady. And he, he does that sinisterly as a villain, and he does that really gently and nurturing in that that other role as the psychiatrist. Like, just fascinating. Yeah, and I think, like, I, I like, I really enjoyed the duality of the the sort of, you know, religious extremism and then, you know, the clinical aspect of the, you know, the, the psychology, psychiatry, you know, kind of thing and, and playing those two sides of those things and how, how different he was able to make those two versions of that character, you know, yeah. like, you know, where, you know, you kind of see that kind of like, you know, that, that intensity in the eyes of the, uh, of, you know, Harrow as the religious leader, because he's on a mission, you know, he's on a mission from God, you know, and that, that kind of one, one pointed, you know, direction, as opposed to, you know, oh, yeah, you think all this crazy stuff is happening to you, but this is textbook. Let me, let me rattle off all these terms, you know, and I've seen this and I've read about this hundreds of times. This is just, this is nothing, you know, and how, how much more casual it was, because it was, you know, it was, it, you know, when he, when he's playing the, the, the doctor, he's, it's not about his mission. It's about him right. helping Steven and, yeah. and helping Steven realize like, oh, you think all this stuff is real, but it's not. And this is, like I said, yeah, like this is textbook. This is just, this is, this is science, you know? So I thought, I thought that was like a really cool duality to see. And, you know, which, which I think also even made him an even better villain, you know, that, you know, you tend to think of, kind of uh you know and and again like by the end of it we're i think we're not necessarily supposed to be sure what actually was real what actually was in their heads you know so you're kind of wondering you know there was a there's an episode of buffy like that where you know yeah. there was some, <laughs> yeah, there's like been a some, lot of you know, talk about that episode yep. yeah yep um Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember the most fucked up thing about that episode too. Shit that, yeah. Cause that takes place after the episode where her mom dies. And in that episode, like her mom's visiting her in the hospital and you're like, Oh fuck. Like, you know, but I think, I think even in that episode, like she doesn't see her mom. So it wasn't even like something that the demon, you know, if, if you're believing that the demon was putting that spell on her, that the demon was doing to try to pull her into that world. Like, Oh, your mom's alive over here. I think it was just, I, yeah, I can't remember. I could be wrong, but like, yeah, like how fucked up and manipulative that was. And then it ends with like her in the white room and you're just like, oh, is that what they're trying? Is this, you know? So I feel like there was an element of that with this too. So it's kind of like, like, yeah, is he is he turning this person who's trying to help him into a villain? Or is that his way of being, you know, a more badass villain? Is he is he on that side of it where it's like, oh, I'm going to tell him that I'm helping him as a way of him having him lower his defenses and, you know, um, you know, being that manipulative and um, yeah. So I think it was just, it was great. Like, yeah. So instead of sort of that, you know, science and psychology and religion being opposed to each other, usually I feel like that's kind of what they're doing is like this person believes in religion. This person believes in science, you know? So it's like, they're kind of butting heads on that. And here you have the villain who's kind of taking up both of those roles and kind of coming at him from both ways. And um, yeah, that's another thing I really love that they kind of, you know, I think we talked about this beforehand, like, you know, I feel like throughout the comics, again, the little knowledge I have is that, yeah, you're always wondering, like, is there, is Khonshu real? Is there really this, this God of the moon and God of vengeance, you know? And cause it's like, yeah, like Egyptian mythology, that's mythology. That's not real, you know? And, 
if Khonshu is real, then, then in in this world, then, then does that mean all the other gods are also real? And I feel like it's always kind of left up in the air and like, yeah, does Mark have powers because of Khonshu or is he just kind of like, you know, is he, is he Don Quixote fighting windmills, you know, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, so it's, 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 you know, it was, it's neat to kind of go into it like that and kind of be wondering the whole time. And, um, you know, and that was one of the things too, that I, I was kind of torn about the costume for a while because I was kind of like, okay, if he has this costume, that's kind of generating around him, then there's obviously power there. There's a, but then it's like, well, I guess we could also just question the reality, the nature of that reality when that's happening. Like if that's all in his mind, you know, then the the self-generating costume is also in his mind. And, you know, maybe he's not doing any of those fights anyway, you know? And so I liked that they kind of dug deeper that way. And even though, like, I think for me, I was kind of picturing it being a costume he has to actually physically put on. Mm. I definitely love the look of it, that it's like more like bandages, like making him look like a mummy, which I, I sometimes wonder, is that one of those things that like, yeah, it must've evolved over time where it's like, Hey, here's this fucking guy wearing all white. Who's an Egyptian superhero. Why isn't he wearing all white? Because they're mummy bandages. Why aren't we, why haven't we been doing that so, way from the beginning? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, that, that design is a pairing of, to my favorite of the costume designs is from Fist of Conchu, which is the second series that ran for six issues. And Alex Ross did a cover for Universe X or, or whatever right. that cover was. And it's Moon Knight in bandages with a hood and uh, machine guns. <laughs> so Machine Gun Moon Knight has been a long time. Like I, I bought that cover twice. I, I think it's a middling series. The artwork is incredible. But and so like, but that that has always been one of my favorite looks. So when when they did that, I was like, no, this is just for me. No, nobody <laughs> else cares about this, right? Like, and it was interesting. There's a comparison to like Venom, this kind of like the wrappings engulfing mm-hmm. or spawn that kind of thing. I, I like the 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 logic behind it is they wanted to have an I he didn't want to be r- running to the the taxi cab or the the moon. Uh, limo to be changing into right. stuff, and I think the series kind of lands more firmly in like he has powers because Conchu's real with the like the link to the uh, ex- uh, external plane or whatever the, ex- the uh, eternal plane, mm-hmm. the uh, Black Panther mythology and stuff. But yeah, that's something. There is so much at work of what's in his head, what's what stuff he can see because he's got Conchu in his brain, mm-hmm. also. And I mean, we haven't even talked about the psychological is the dissociative identity disorder, that portrayal in it. We're just talking, we, we, there's no structure to how we're talking about it. I don't know. There's so much, man. Like, yeah, I don't even know if you like the series yet. Well, you haven't even given me a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I definitely liked it. I think it was just, it was, I think it was almost more awkward going into it with a little bit of knowledge than if I had no knowledge mm-hmm. because it wasn't like, I mean, cause there were definitely things that I was like confused about, but also like, Oh, I didn't think they were going to do that. Not that, not that I want to say like, Oh, is this point they did this, not this. Cause it wasn't like, you know, I, you know, again, I wasn't like a huge fan being like, Oh, I, I hope I get to see this. Um, I think, I think I, I, I would, I think I need to rewatch it to kind of know, cause it, it did feel a little bit all over the place, which I was kind of expecting. And it kind of reminded me of like, 
was it? Yeah. I, I forget exactly how many seasons um, uh, Legion had, but I remember at one point in the series, they're constantly fucking with you with what's real and what's not. And you don't know. And then I think at the end of one season, they kind of did a reveal of what was real, mm. but they had been fucking with me for so long that I didn't know if any of that was actually real or not. And then the next season continued under the assumption that that was real. And that almost made me more confused because mm. like, I, I didn't invest in any of this information because I thought it was just another bait and switch, you know? Right. So now you're telling me that you're putting all your eggs in this basket and I'm supposed to get invested in all this information. Okay. Got it. You know, and I had to play catch up. So I felt there was a little bit like that where, you know, I was, I was kind of like trying to be along for the ride and just go with it, knowing that I can't trust any of this. But then I think because of that, I wasn't as invested in anything because I was Mm. waiting for the other shoe to drop and be like, no, that's all fake. Gotcha. And, and again, I, I'm not saying that as, as, as a criticism. I think it's just, you know, it, it's, it's tricky when you're telling that type of story oh, yeah. when you're making, you know, because the main character is questioning reality and you're trying to make the viewer question that reality also, you know, but if the viewer kind of knows that they're not supposed to be questioning reality there, yeah, like I said, they're not going to attach themselves to any of this stuff the way that the character is like, you know, like, like Stephen Grant is like, I'm fucking real. But I, I went into this knowing like, no, you're not like Mark Spector. As far as I know, Mark Spector was the original, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I'm not, it, it, you know, it, it, it had the potential of being like a Philip K. Dick type story of yep. you're with this main character. And then halfway through, you're like, you know, you're, you were not who you think you are, you know, like, let alone, you know, this person is not who you think they are. Like you are not who you think they are. And that's what to me has always made like Philip K. Dick stuff. So compelling. That's a, that seems to be at the core of almost all of the, at least all the stuff of his that's been made into films. Um, Or what you think to be the nature of reality is not real. Um, But in his stories, you don't go into it thinking that, you know, which is kind of dumb by this point, like you should, because so many of them, that is the case, (laughs) you know? So it's like, You know, kind of like watching M. Night Shyamalan, you're like, where's the twist? Where's the twist? Where's I was, was going to say that, too. It also, yeah. I, I just had a thought that, like, Truman Show is very kind of Philip K. Dickian in, in the same way where, I don't know if it's based on a short story, it might be. But in the way that, okay, you're not who you think they are, they are or who they say they are. The setting isn't what it appears to be. So that zoomed out view of, like, not only is your life but like the literal space you occupy is all manipulated is also yeah. interesting. Like, and then matrix off of that. And like, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a lot like, it, and it's so quick, six episodes. Is, and, yeah. and that last episode is so brief. Like it's the shortest of the whole series is the, the finale. There's so much to go get through and there's so much to, established and I, I found that too like i feel like people who know a little bit about moon knight went in and kind of like thought the character was one thing and like yeah i, I it was it's interesting to because like my parents are, know about him because they know me like so that mm-hmm. watching them watch it was an interesting experience and those kinds of like and like you said like i i think there's definitely that People who did, went in cold watched that and they were like, Steven's real, Steven's real. Or I mean, Steven is real, but Steven's the primary or the, right. uh, the original. And then that switch really affected them. 
if you go and I think I think that's one of the greatest things about the series is that for a character that's so complex and so kind of othering they really made it accessible to someone who had no idea who they were and I think that's the majority of people I I mean I don't think I know that Mm -hmm. before this series like it, it just people didn't know or weren't invested. So like going in cold, and I think it was really smart on the director's part and the writer's part, Jeremy Slater, that we have to treat this like nobody go in completely cold and treat everybody like they don't know what's happening. Cause this isn't Batman with the pearls. Like we don't know, you know, and that is so, yeah. and that's the thing. If, if we knew that we would get the montage with the moon Knight. he got stabbed, he came back, he's got three, like we can now do that. Hurry up previously on moon night thing that could be now that that goes into it like whatever form it takes next but yeah it 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 definitely treated it as this is everybody's first introduction to this character and it doesn't really care about any of the previous notions uh like from the comic like i mean it follows the lemire run pretty close Mm -hmm. that that seems to be the strongest inspiration i think it's very clever i think it's it's my favorite run of the series. It's the one that I made me fall in love with the modern character. And it just, it took, it took its time and it did a psychological, like human story. And that's, that's, I, I think that was just a great uh, place to center it on. Sorry. I've, I've had all of the thoughts possible about this show. <laughs> no, that's fair. And I mean, like, I think, and I think this is something I kind of realized too, is that, you know, uh, like I think a while ago, you know, when, when we were talking and you mentioned like, oh, I want you to write a Moon Knight theme for me. Like, I think the two of us had very different ideas about like what that meant, because I feel like from everything you've told me, like you, you love that they're get, digging into the psychology of like the, you know, the, the, the person, you know, whereas the thing that drew me is like, oh, an Egyptian superhero. Like I've oh, yeah. always been a fan of like Egyptian mythology so like that's you know we have like the Norse gods and it's like that's cool but it's like I wasn't into that as a kid so Thor didn't connect to me in that way whereas this is like oh shit like we have some version of that with but with Egypt stuff awesome you know and and I feel like that kind of um, a lot of times in the comics that kind of takes a backseat to either you know and and again like I can see where if, if you've been a fan for a long time and you've wanted to see that aspect explored. But I think for me, it was like, you know, all about the, the Egyptian stuff and that the avatar stuff. And like, and I think to me, maybe that's what made it, what makes it kind of, I don't want to say for lack of better term frustrating is that like, like I almost want to see him not, not become like, like ditch his two other alternate personalities, but like be like, I've come to terms with this. So now we can focus on just telling Moon Knight stories and like, you know, and, and and the Egyptian part of it and be like really digging into. And that was one of the things I really liked about this series when they had like, oh, here are the other gods and their avatars. Mm. So there are other avatars like scattered across the world and they can all draw. So that was like one of my favorite parts of this that 
I was kind of concerned they weren't going to get into any of that at all, that it was just going to be like, oh, it's just that Stephen knows a lot about ancient mm-hmm. Egyptian stuff. And that's the only reference we're going to make. And, and it's in his head. And that's where Khonshu comes from that like, no, it's like, okay, we've got this location and we're actually, you know, going to Egypt and doing all this other stuff. And they really and the focus main... in and do a deep dive. And I mean, there, there's, yeah. there's some liberties taken cause it's comics, but like, I mean, Mo- Mohammed is, is Egyptian. Like it, like the cat, like the whole Cairo thing, they built that in Hungary. Oh, like wow. they built that set and everybody there was like Egyptian and everybody there was like, how did they make downtown Cairo in Europe? Like, how did they do this? Like, so like the, the representation of the culture is like huge. The idea that you get to see the pyramids close to a city instead of out in the distant dunes, mm-hmm. like it, it, that's awesome. And then, you get to see the duat. You get to see the the boat of the dead. You get to see the the measuring of the hearts. You get to see Tarawet. You get to see Khonshu. You get. I mean, the reveal of Ahmed is amazing. That is one of the best designs. Like, what did you think of the visual designs of the gods and stuff, like the CG stuff? Yeah, I, I thought it was good. I mean, you know, and and it is one of those things where, yeah, it's like, I mean, I feel like it's it's hard to judge stuff that doesn't exist in reality when it's done in CG, because, you know, it's easy to like look at a person who's done in CG and be like, Oh, you don't look like a person. And so I know what that looks, you know? So it's like, you know, when you've got this like alligator crocodile walking on two legs, you know, talking with a female human voice, like it's going to be weird no matter what, you know? So it's not like, Oh, you know, this, this looks unnatural. It's like, of course it's going to look unnatural, you know, like we've never seen that before, but like, I, yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I mean, it, it's, it's, I put it in the category of like the, you know, the suspending the disbelief stuff where it's not like it didn't look like, Oh yeah. Like you made me believe that Khonshu is real. It's like, yeah, like, you know, and it, it's, it's not like anything we've ever seen before. So it is going to look weird and out of place. And, and maybe it's also in his head. We don't know that for sure yet. So sure. Maybe if it looks fake, it's because it's his mind imprint, you know? So, so I kind of, I kind of like lump all that stuff together. Um, what I did love about that is when like all of a sudden it took me a minute to realize this was happening. Like when they're just fucking giants battling above the pyramids, like that was like, Oh shit, this, okay. This is yes. This, I didn't, this is where I didn't know I wanted this to go, but I want, I'm glad it went there, you know, like, exact thought i had and i mean yeah. there's the the money shot of the whole series as far as i'm concerned is moon knight got knocked down haro's walking over to take him out and mm-hmm. in the background there's yeah. this giant wave of the scale is massive of Kanshu and Ahmed going to the ground slowly in the background as he's approaching in the foreground just an incredible establishing shot for the scale and the enormity of the forces at work there, even if it's all in his head, like that's how huge this what's going on inside is, you know? I also thought it was really cool. Um, And at first I was kind of like, you know, again, like I kept waiting for this to happen and I'm glad it only happened at the end as a teaser. But again, like, I know that there's another third personality in there waiting right. to come out. So whenever there was that, like, oh, Stephen, what did you do? I didn't do this. You know, it's like, oh, okay. That's, you know, and I, I kept forgetting his name till the end. So it's like, you know, once they came in and when they, when, you know, they were in the hospital and they see that one sarcophagus that's like shaking and they kind of run away from it. It's like, okay, like, cool. Like, and I, I was, I was glad that by the end he comes out and I feel like it, like, yeah, like, I guess to jump to the ending for a minute, 
I feel like the ending was was super satisfying because like up until that point, I was like, oh, how much stuff are they just kind of like teasing? Is it like as an Easter egg as opposed right. to actually being a plot point? Yeah. And I love that it was a plot point that was there yeah. from the beginning. There were those moments, you know, again, like when he keeps like blacking out for a second, I knew he had other personalities. So I knew that's what that was. But like, I feel like they do that a great job of like, oh, this show has established these two, but at what point is it, is it Jake coming in? Not one of the two of them, you know? Um, so I love, and I also love the idea of, you know, at the end I was, I was disappointed when they're like, I'm, when, you know, I'm not going to be your avatar anymore. I was like, well, wait a minute. What the fuck? Like, do we not have Moon Knight anymore then if he's no longer? Oh, okay. And that was the way to bring Jake in and to kind of be like, oh, well, Jake is choosing to be the avatar. So ah, I get to still have my avatar. Fuck you, Mark and Steven. You know, like I thought that was brilliant, you know, and it it, it made up for, you know, like, uh, where are they going to bring Steven in? You know, like. Khonshu gets to have his Jake and eat it too. <laughs> oh, I can't believe. Oh, it took so long for me to think of that. Nobody will care, but I, I just thought of that. Right off the dome, have your Jake and eat it too. That's that was the, that was the phrase that the whole show was based on. Someone thought of that phrase and said, "Make this a show how somehow." Like on on Thirty Rock, when when uh, um, Jack uh, Donaghy's in charge of like writing for a while because like Liz isn't there, mm. and he's having them work backwards. Like he's giving them like a one liner, be like, right, like he's like he's like you know basically write a skit that somehow justifies the line. Nuts to you, McGillicuddy, at the end. It was like, somehow we had to turn that into a joke. He would give us a punchline and we had to create the joke, you know, the setup for it. So, yeah, I think that was it. Like, how, you know, here's the set, here's the, the punchline. You need to create a, a six issue setup to this punchline. And it, it's like you said, I think satisfying, cathartic. That it, that post credit is one of the most satisfying. And that's, I think there's a great balance at work here. There's a lot of great Easter eggs. And there's a lot of stuff that they put in like, oh, check this out. It might be something. But they paid off enough of those things that it wasn't. I think they did it in such a great way. And I, like I I keep saying, I think everything they did in the series was inbounds. For mm-hmm. the character, there's been a half a dozen more than that writers, artists, a different, dozen different takes. The character canonically has DID. I think to not do that would have been a mistake. I think they did a great job. Like I, they they changed the trauma story from the comics, which I think is one of the weaker parts of the comics. So I think I thought the 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 trauma origin was so well done and so heartrending and so like I I I think they executed so much. And it, I mean, it's plates, it's spinning plates. Like there's so yeah. many things, Egypt and like, and that's the thing. He's a Jewish character. We see very little of his Jewish origins. We do see the shivas. We do see the uh, mm-hmm. um, yarmulke, but it, that's also part of his faith, right? Like he, his dad was a rabbi in the comics, so him taking an Egyptian god and like the biblical history between those two peoples and oppression and enslaving, like it, it, it's just such an interest. Like it's so rich, and there's so many things you could get wrong. And I think it just, it played such a great line of, okay, we'll do a little bit of fan service. We'll say, okay, this is that aspect. We can maybe explore that later. And then they, they kept paying, okay, here, there's, there's somebody else in there. There's somebody else in there. And then they show you Jake and mm-hmm. everybody who knew it was Jake was so cathartically paid off in that moment. And everybody who didn't know was like, who the fuck is that? And then I, I feel like nobody in the show who liked the show go through the whole of the show, not knowing that Jake was a thing. 
Because mm-hmm. like everybody talking, oh, is this Jake Lockley? Who's it teaching teaching Jake Lockley? There's a, that whole kind of rumor mill type thing. Mm-hmm. So by the time it, it's funny, it kind of turned people into fans. Like it, it was weird to watch people who'd never seen it before doing like reaction videos and be like, okay, and then they're like, we got where's Jake? Like they first like there might be a third personality we haven't heard about. Don't tell us. And then by the next episode, they're like, where's Jake? Put it like <laughs> they weren't able to resist, and they did a whole bunch of research. So it's just fascinating. That that was an aspect of it too. I have to share this with you. I was at work, and one of my friends Zergum at work was talking to one of his IT tech guys, and they were talking about Moon Knight. And it's the first time I was ever in a room where a Moon Knight conversation was happening, and I had no part of it. I wasn't even peripherally related to the discussion, and I was just like. Oh, <laughs> it happened. I won. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's that's the arrival point. You know, yeah, this is this this machine is running on its own now. <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> Layla also. Yeah. May is like, OK, we, we, we can talk acting, right? Like because Hawk is incredible. Oscar is his own fucking category. May was amazing too. I love her character. I love the journey of that character. I love that they said about like, is she a Bond girl? What you're so mm-hmm. unsure of where, what, how she fits into the story, and then it just unfolds, and you get this rich character, like in, in somebody who's not. I love that she fights off the zombie, but then screams in frustration afterwards, you know, like, and yeah. scared, like, oh, what the fuck? And then Ethan Hawke shows up right after that to, like, twist the knife of, like, Mark might have killed your dad. And she's like, are you finished? Like, I just love the way that character played is, like, fuck you for, like, I just was almost killed by a mummy and I got to listen to your condescending villain monologue right now like i i don't know like he was he was such a great character i love the reveal of the scarab wings and the sword like yeah uh, such a great uh i love that character i'm so glad she didn't get fridged i'm so glad that she didn't get turned into uh conchu's uh, avatar because i thought they might tease it that way too mm. that was it what did you think about may yeah, I thought, you know, again, like she was, I, I think I knew that he was married in the comics, maybe, or there was some love interest, at least. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought she was great. And I think one of my favorite things I just kind of realized now with that whole aspect of like, you know, Mark being involved with her with her father's death is like, I feel like a lot of times in movies, there will be like one piece of information that will just like flip somebody's personality, like a switch, you know, or not their complete personality, but like how they relate to another person. Um, the one, one that comes to mind, you know, is, uh, uh, she's all that, you know, like at the end when she finds out that it was all, all a bet, you know, and it's like, the story is actually more complicated than that by that point, you know, cause like, yes, it was the bet, but at that point I didn't know you. And then I became, you know, and of course, that's the whole, the, the tragedy of it is you don't get to to spell it out. And I mean, and they're teenagers to be fair, but I feel like, yeah, like, I don't know that real life works that way. You know, that like you learn one thing and then you're instant. I mean, I, I guess you can be mad, you know, but I, I feel like she, she had such a much more evolved reaction to that, where there was the part of her that's like angry about it, but also like, you know, not just like, oh, 
well, Mark, I know we were getting a divorce, but I was reconsidering you, but now, now fuck you hundred percent. Cause you were there, you know, and that it's like things I feel like are never that simple, you know, and that, that, that Harrow was playing on the idea that he didn't kill her father, but he was playing on his guilt. And it was almost like his guilt was giving him away. Like he was, he was kind of like coaxing Mark to expose his guilt. Like the part where he was like, Oh, Mark, or, you know, he's like, you piece of shit, you know, like, like I thought Mark killed her, her father, but it was his guilt about being involved in any way, shape or form. Right. And I feel like that's what made it so much more complicated is that Mark didn't need to be the one to have killed her father. Harrow knew that he was involved and that his, his like kind of pulling his guilt out was enough to kind of like cause more problems than the truth. So that kind of her almost finding out the truth is like, well, well, yeah, it's fucked up that you were there, but then also like that was a different time. And it wasn't like you were like, Oh, fuck your dad. I'm going to kill him to fuck you over, you know? And it like, I feel like her She's playing all of the levels of that interaction. Cause it's also yeah. like my husband who I thought I knew is now manifesting a different personality. So that, that where's that co- determination in all of this too. Right. Right. Where, where she's just like, okay, now you're coming at me with like, he was there. So what does that mean? And also when she reveals it and wants to talk, like she talks to Mark and it's also Steven seeing that the seriousness of that. And it's also his feelings for her. And like all, again, all of the, there's so many dual ways of playing every part of it. And the fact that we have any kind of coherent understanding of what the characters are feeling is such a testament to the writing and the execution of those roles. Cause yeah. you, you, you totally understand where Layla's coming from. And that's the thing. She's like, she's a grown ass woman. You know, mm-hmm. this is not born sexy yesterday. This is none of the like traditional tropes. She's not boring. She's not, she's not a, a, a manic pixie dream girl. No, this is somebody who works to get contraband back to Egypt and also sells some for herself. Like, she's almost like, I, I don't know, she's just very developed in how she deals with things is like a, a person, you know? Yeah. like Yeah, she's walking the gray line kind of like Mark is. And and I think that's part of it is like, I think, yeah, I think, I think there are, I mean, and I guess to be fair, in real life, there are people who probably view themselves as being 100% virtuous. Right. So if someone were to cross them in any way, shape or form, of course, they'd be like, oh, I need to write you off completely. Um, but like, yeah, like the fact that she's living in the gray, too, I think it makes her easier to understand Mark's level of gray and, you know, and 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 adapt to learning about what his reality actually is and incorporate that into her feelings, you know, right. So yeah, like, like she's, you know, she's the opposite of the Riddler and Electro where it's like, (laughs) you said one thing I didn't like, I'm a villain, you know, like, you know, like she's, yeah, she's processing emotions like a grown ass adult, you know, and in that it's not like, you know, oh, this, this one line of dialogue has to be the linchpin for the whole film that sends it in a different direction and has this, this tragedy we're setting up so that we can have the satisfying return. It's like, well, that only works if the, the, the disappointment is actually authentic enough, you know, to warrant, you know, and then the return is satisfying. If, you know, if you're just kind of like, you know, 
make Riddler get mad at Bruce Wayne. So that can trigger all this other stuff to happen or, you know, like make, you know, as, as nice as Spider-Man's being to Electro, make one little misunderstanding, right. make Electro go a hundred percent villain and be like, fuck you, Spider-Man, I'm going to kill you. You know, like, as opposed to like, Oh, this, there's a bunch of things to sort through here. And also we're in the kind of in the middle of something. So right. maybe we're going to shelf this and deal with this as people. And then we'll come back to that stuff later, you know, like. And, and the pace, just like in the in story time of the things that she goes through, right. She goes from outside kissing Steven to inside running from a, a, a mummy priest that tries to stab her with the bones after that, immediately after that, Haro comes and runs his uh, manipulation on her. And then as she's confronting Mark, she's discovering more that the reason that they met in the first place was that he wanted to tell her. And then, so she's dealing with all of that. And then we discover through his exploration of his memory that him failing to save her father re-triggered the trauma of not being able to save his brother to feeling responsible for that death. And it's all, it's all happening as the world is going to be judged by this alligator God. Like <laughs> again, the plates spinning are paramount. There's so many things going on and, and just the, it's all duality. It's all self-referential. The, I mean, did you freak out when you got they got to the psych ward and every little thing was referenced to a previous ep- episode? I like, I loved that. Like, I mean, I, yeah, I caught some of them. Like, this, yeah, like he has like the little pyramid on his desk and like the the canopic canopic jars like up on the thing. Yep. I mean, I probably didn't catch all of them, but like, I definitely noticed, you know, that like, yeah, that this was supposed to be, you know, the idea is like hinting at, oh, did he build the story that we've seen so far based on things he's looking at in this office? And yeah. yeah. What, how yeah, did I, you feel going into like a specific moment? Like he's mm-hmm. shot, fades out, the aspect ratio of the show changes, and it's this B movie. Like, tell me what you thought about that. I I feel like did we get a hint at one point before then, or was that the first time we get the idea that like, oh yeah, this this Stephen Grant is something that he is referencing. Was that's that the, the first or, reference? Okay, so that's the first. Okay, I think it maybe was more so like when. Okay, so that was the first thing. Oh, I think what I'm thinking of is when, when it does the flashback and he and his brother are going. Yeah. Like, oh, Stephen Grant. It's like okay, that's kind of you know you kind of trace it back. Um. Yeah, like I thought it was definitely like like trippy, but also like well, okay, like it makes sense for the show and for what it's doing, and you know, um, you know kind of having this adventurer yeah like indiana jones type character um i thought it was interesting though that like you know that that stephen grant is like the heroic one but like yeah. you know his stephen grant is the more meek one you know um but yeah i thought that was that was really cool to kind of you know and, and again it's like you know we're we're learning about the truth but i'm also like well wait can i trust this or is this also in his head too like what you know is this is this part of the manipulation that harrow's doing to kind of fuck with him about what's the nature of reality you know um i think what i what i really loved was the idea that kind of you know to save the day to come back and save the day like he had to 
you know, confront all of this stuff and kind of heal himself from the inside. I think that to me was one of the, one of the coolest metaphors that, you know, it's like, like, yeah, you can punch bad guys all day long, but that's not really going to do much against this. Yeah. This, this giant God towering over the pyramids, you know, like, like there's, there's going to be something more, more at the core here. And I like that they, that they dealt with that. And it was, you know, and, and, I feel like him and Steven had been fighting all along and that's part of the idea, like, you know, being at war with, with yourself, as opposed to, you know, acknowledging all parts of yourself, you know? And um, I thought that was like, you know, was, was really cool. And like, you know, how, yeah, there was that part that, you know, the, you know, he didn't want Steven to see what was in the room and, you know, you know, trying to like forget this part of your past and ignore this part of your past. It's like, no, that's not, that's not healthy. That's not the way to like, make things better. You know, it's like, you've got to confront that stuff. And, um, the one thing I was kind of confused about though, is like the whole idea of, you know, when Mark was being abused by his mother, it seemed like that's when he switched to Steven, but then it was Steven that didn't know about that. And it's like, well, wasn't he the one there experiencing it? It almost seems like Mark throwing Steven under the bus where it'd be like, I don't want to be abused by my mom. You be abused by my mom. So like, I didn't kind of get the, how that worked. They they haven't been explicit about this, but the the running theory is that Jake is the one that took the beatings. Oh, so Mark thinks it was Steven because he knows that he went away. Or it's like Steven it's, doesn't know about it because he wasn't there. Mark's assuming it was Steven, but oh okay. But yeah, it's okay, that, that or makes... or it's it's that he he's like Steven is an escape. So Mark may like he's compartmentalized the pain. But where he went mentally was Steven. So he's like, okay, if I'm this kid, he's not processing this because he loves his mom. His relationship with his mom is fine. Yeah. So like that's the escape. I, I don't know. They, I don't know how accurate to actually I mean, I hope the it's, experience of the trauma, yeah. but like it. it I hope it's the Lockley thing because I, to me that that makes. More, I mean, again, I don't understand this complex psychology but like that makes more sense to me because like you know yeah like well, it's like, also like mark could be taking that pain too like mark created steven as an escape so yeah. i'm going through this but in my head i'm steven and i'm okay right I, that might be and it's repeated trauma it happens a lot i mean that's what did that's how it happens it's repeated childhood yeah. trauma that leads to this kind of dissociation yeah um yeah, I think it just, it, it seems like, like weird how, like when he became Steven in that moment and he's just kind of sitting there playing and when his mom's outside the door, which again, that, that moment made sense to me because, oh, right. like Steven doesn't acknowledge that his mother's angry because right. Steve loves his mother. But like, I guess I was saying like when she physically comes in to abuse right. him, like how, like, so, so that to me, I feel like that makes more sense where like, if that's when Jake comes in. Right. So Steven's there, like Mark escapes, Steven comes in and Steven isn't scared of his mother. But then once the physical abuse starts, like if Steven was there experiencing it, I feel like that would have, you right. know, maybe that's, you know, that's what triggered a third personality, the one who's physically taking it and physically becomes this cold blooded killer as a result of it. Like, I think that, that to me, uh, like I said, makes sense as much as any of this can make sense, you know, but it's also, I think more satisfying and, and explains like, yeah, like where Jake would come from. Like, you know, like that, I, I guess that's part is I feel like someone has to have been taking that abuse. Like it makes sense that Mark right. was aware that it was happening, but had to shut himself out from it. 
but I, I guess I find it hard to believe that Stephen would be physically taking the abuse and just right. sitting there happy with his British right. accent. But, but Jake coming in and being the one being like that, that makes total sense to me. So yeah, I hope that's the direction they're going with it. Right. Um, and there's, there's, there's a couple places where it kind of falters in that way. I think that that's a moment that's kind of like, okay, wait, what, who's where and what that, that if you look at it for any amount of time, like the Harry Potter franchise, it just mm-hmm. unravels. Um, right. <laughs> like, tell me how the, the wizard economy works. I, I don't fucking understand it. Like there are yeah. muggles who can trade with wizard. It doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. Um, but there's another moment where it's on the boat with the, the sc- scales balancing. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a way to interpret the sequence where, Stephen dying made him feel whole and gone. I think that's totally, that's not, that can't be the intention because they've spent all this time legitimizing DID as a disorder. So Mm. for me, that moment is Stephen feeling brave and coming to his rescue. That's what made his, his scales Mm. balance was Stephen overcoming learning and him and Mark working together Right. And acknowledging either. And that's the thing. Steven in that moment takes out all of his frustration that he's been bottling the whole time, like with uh, uh, Donna and with the, like the guy with the brooms who's selling stuff right out of his apartment, like all these little frustrations oh, yeah. that he's just kind of internalized. And like, he finally lets loose with the baseball bat. So that's him acknowledging Mark and Mark acknowledging him. And like that, I think there was a, a way to edit it to make it cleaner that distinction. Cause at the end of that episode, you're like, what, what the fuck are they saying? Like Steven dying made him go to heaven. That doesn't make any sense. That's totally. Right. Uh, so that I, I think they do a better job of going back. Like I, but I think at the end of that episode, it's very much up in the air, what they're trying, what point they're trying to make. And I don't mm-hmm. think that's what their intention was. With Yeah. Also that bothered me too. Cause I'm like, well, if, if Jake's in there somewhere, like how can right. they be balanced without coming to terms with Jake, you know, like, you know, and I, I think, you know, part of what I was wondering is like, you know, was him going to heaven? Was that more of like a test, you know, like, Oh, we're going to offer you like, you're free from this thing. You can be in heaven now, but that means that, you know, Stevens in you know, hell purgatory, whatever the fuck that is, you know, to, to kind of see the, like, make him make that choice and see how he would make the choice, you know, as opposed to like, maybe he wasn't really in heaven at that point, or if he had said, yeah, I'm going to hang here forever, you know, but yeah, yeah. It was kind of confusing about like, what, what was the goal they were trying to achieve to get the hearts to balance, you know? And like, right. it, yeah, it definitely didn't seem to make, make sense on a, on a cosmic big, big, bigger picture level. Right. I mean, Oscar Isaac mm-hmm. masterclass. I, I, I don't know what to like what you say things about his performance. Just just his like I, I love the fact that there were there were moments like I mean obviously in the beginning, like he's mostly Steven and when he when he cuts out, you know, we have like those blank spots and he comes back as Steven. But once we kind of had full on access to both of them, like you could tell which one he was based on his posture and body language. And I love yep. that. Like, I love, you know, cause that's the thing you're like for a split second, you're like, which, Oh, that's clearly Mark, you know, like without saying anything, it wasn't just, Oh, Mark doesn't have the British accent. That's how, you know, it's like, no, like look at him and you'll know which one he is. You know, um, I thought, yeah, I thought that was great. I love that you kept the performance kept getting revealed to you. Cause it was like Steven, Steven, Steven. And then he sees the security footage. 
And he's like, that's not me. And right. you see it, right? And I yeah. mean, there, there's moments where you have the, there's that one where he's he's uh, coming up from the ledge where the kid cut his thing and fell off. And he was oh, talking yeah. about like, what, it, what? or he stabbed the guy, I guess. He woke up, what the hell's wrong with you, Steven? It's you. Like it's him having a conversation with his reflection. Mm-hmm. And that was shot in real time. That's not two different oh, nice. setups. That's him changing just his eyes and his face as Mohammed went from one camera to the other camera to get the reverse shot. And it's perfect. Like the nice. characterizations in the, the moment where he switches uh, in the desert, where he's going to put the stuff together and it's just the eyes. He just lifts his eyebrows and he's a different person. I don't, the, the, the control the man has of his face unparalleled. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I even love the I forget what exactly the line was, but there was a fucking Poe Dameron mo- moment uh, <laughs> when he's like, you know, like the 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 moment from episodes. It was like, do you talk first? Do I talk? Who, oh uh, yeah, yeah. I forget what, what exactly they were saying. Like, oh, are we are we fighting? Are we talking? You we, know, like that. Yeah, we fighting or are we dancing? Because the guy yeah. has the knife and he's brandishing. <laughs> yeah. God, you learn so much about Mark because you don't know anything about Mark really until mm-hmm. that scene, and you see how he's like, okay, let's fucking go. And then the dude licks the blade of the knife and he just like fucking five times in the face. Boop, boop, boop. And then the kid comes and he keeps palming him. He slaps him. He moves him. He tries right. to stab. Like, but you, so you see his restraint. Yeah. And it's just so interesting to see like this guy can turn it on and off. He has a moral center. There's like, right. and you learn about him well, in violence, which is really interesting too. It's, it's, it's also like, I think uh, a lack of fear. You know, we've seen so oh, yeah. much fear in Steven. Yeah. And like the yeah, the fact that he's slapping the kid because he's not afraid of him. He's like, you're you're a kid, you know. Like, get out of my one way. With you're, you're an insect. You're a pest to me. You right. know, I need you out of my way, but I'm not threatened by you. I don't need to put you down the way I need to put these other guys down. You know. And that's something else. Later, when he's talking to like uh, when they go to uh, um, Midnight Man's Mogot to get the sarcophagus map mm-hmm. thing. They go to the, the, in, oh, with yeah. the Egyptian jousting. I can't remember the name of that game, but that's really fucking cool. I like that they incorporated. But I yeah, love, there you go. You got your joust movie. <laughs> yep, it, there it is. <laughs> that would actually be a great way to frame it as like this tradition of like evolution of joust. It could be Egyptian too. That'd be that'd be sick. That's how you justify six foot walking vultures and shit. That that would be fucking cool. <laughs> see you it's just self-generating and we've had the idea that went absolutely nowhere there we go <laughs> uh, where that segment gets smaller and smaller and the ghost tim gets bigger and bigger <laughs> we get one bit we can only do one what the fuck is wrong <laughs> can you tell i've been alone for a week and a fucking half because of covid oh yeah no that makes it yeah I, I definitely like i used to get the same way yeah like when i when I lived alone. And then I remember, I remember there was one weekend, like the, one of the guys I worked with lived downstairs for me. And I remember saying some, like seeing him at work on Monday, like, yeah, I didn't leave my apartment all weekend. He's like, yeah, I know. I live below you. Like I never heard your door open. Like, and it was funny. Cause like there was one time where something happened and I spoke like to myself out loud and the sound of it startled me because I hadn't spoken since like <laughs> Friday at five o'clock. And this was like Sunday night. Like I hadn't opened my mouth to speak for two days straight. And it was like, Oh, huh, that's what my voice sounds like. <laughs> so do I, I had a, a novel idea that I have that I haven't finished probably. I won't say I never will. I want to, I have this idea of like 
it would take so much. This kid's at the end of the, the he's the last person in humanity. And it first while he decides to just not talk because mm-hmm. he's like, I don't, I'm not going to be the cliche. I mean, everybody's done this. It's, it's not, it's not a new idea, but it's like, I don't want to talk to myself. I don't want to make the little mascot and have a conversation. So he just, he, he goes so long without talking that he's like, okay, maybe I should like think of some last words. Like maybe I don't even have the ability to do it anymore. So he kind of gets nervous and ex- anxious about it. It's like, okay, so like, if I'm going to try, what should I try to say? And like the idea of like it, them being choked with myth, not being used. And like, mm-hmm. is that how my voice did sound? I've been listening to it in my head for so long. So like right. just yeah. that, that, cause, and I'm writing it cathartically. Cause I, I can't do that. I've been, alone for a month and a half and i can't stop talking to myself (laughs) there's too much already up that's why a podcast man if i'm Mm. not talking i'm listening to me talking (laughs) right it's an infinite regression of (laughs) fucking narcissism (laughs) well and and i mean i think i think part of it too is like i you know when i can go you know if i'm alone long enough and i go for periods without speaking I, I can't remember exactly what I was doing that weekend, but, but some of it was either taking in stuff like, Oh, I can watch a bunch of movies and TV shows. I haven't had a time for, but then also like writing music, you know, and that's, that's my way of like getting the thoughts out of my head, you know, even though I'm not physically speaking, then I'm still expressing ideas through, through music, you know? So, so I think, yeah, like, it's not like I'm just like sitting there motionless, not speaking, you know, right. it's like, there is, there is an outlet to it. It's just not through like verbal communication, you know, it's something but, I do too. I feel like the, it's odd. The quietest I am is when I'm playing just guitar and not working, worrying about like mm-hmm. songwriting. If I'm just jamming out, that's probably the most like flow space I get into. And mm-hmm. then I don't have to think, I don't have to speak. I'm just expressing myself in a different way. That's a lot <laughs> different. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know, I, I think some of that too, like, you know, when you're, when you're doing music, it is kind of free because you're, there isn't a definite, I mean, I mean, I, I've gone back and forth on this, you know, and I've, I've come around to the side, you know, I used to think that I want to write music so that people know exactly what I was thinking at the moment I wrote it. And I transmit that to them, but I've kind of come to the other side where it's like, no, the idea is for me to put something out there. You know, I've, I've, I don't know if I've used this phrase before, but that art is a mirror, you know, you're not supposed to see the artist in it. You're supposed to see yourself in it. So it's not my job to try to perfectly convey a specific idea that I want to convey through my music. It's to, say the thing I want to say and then put it out there to the world. And, you know, again, that's, that's the point of metaphor is for people to see different things in that, in that story, in that metaphor, to see what they need to see, what they need to yeah. get from it. Otherwise it's not a metaphor. It's just fact, you know, like, right. like this is the thing, this is the truth, get this from it. It's like, no, like here's a story. And I think that that's an important part I, or maybe you know the the way to be a healthy artist is to not try to you know uh, uh put your work um to to judge it based on how well people are getting what you're putting out right you know it's it's that are people getting what they need to get from it right you know? um so i don't know if you'd call that communication because i feel like when you're speaking the point is 
you need to convey what you're trying to convey. Otherwise you might piss people off. And then it's like, no, that's not what I meant. You know, it's like, well, too bad. You're still responsible for the fact that I'm pissed off, you know? So I think talking with words is scarier. It's so much more loaded, you know? Um, Whereas if you play a song for someone, they, they can feel how they want to feel. And I think, you know, if, if, if music you play for them makes them mad, I feel like somehow you're, you're, it's easier to relinquish, relinquish yourself from the responsibility of their their interpretation of it because, like, well, that's the point. Everyone's supposed to get what they're getting from it, and I feel like we don't we don't have that luxury with with speech that it's like, well, maybe your reason from getting angry by what I said has more to do with something you're dealing with internally, right? You know, then but it's a lot harder to have that conversation because that. Yeah. And there is a line, like, yes, you right, can right, say right. something that is objectively offensive, but... Yeah, yeah. No, but know. I think there's something to that, is, like, music is... I mean, certain things are out to offend, right? Like, I, I think right. there there is that. But, like, music from pure note on staff or sound coming out of instrument stance is is all about feeling and thought. It's not about... There's no sarcasm about, I mean, there, you can be sarcastic and, and, and playful in how you notate things and play with expectations in a way. Because you can learn the grammar, right, of the language of music, and then you uh, anticipate things and recognize things. It becomes like that, but it, it doesn't come from a place where speech has so much baggage in terms of, like, meaning and intention and aggression and all of those, like I, it, it's, that's fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think a lot of it is that, you know, the fact that, you know, music exists to be an art form. Right. You know, therefore it's like, it's, you know, I think most people should understand that it is open for interpretation and, you know, and, and I mean, then again, there are plenty of people who get angry at art, you know, oh, yeah. and it's like, you know, um, and shifting definitions of what art is and all of that. I just to go back, we were talking about like the idea of Moon Knight. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I, I still want to have this conversation. I'm in really enjoying this deviation, but like the idea of the mirror or the 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 portrait of yourself, right? Like the the mirror or the the megaphone, right? Right. In terms of what you're trying to convey to people. I mean, the closest thing I've ever experienced to synesthesia, confusion of the senses, is when I'm writing guitar melody stuff, I have a story of, in my head mm-hmm. that helps me remember where the notes are and it, it evokes that feeling in my head. But never are the lyrics to the song that story. Oh, and it's so strange to like I there's certain things I'm trying to accomplish and evoke with stuff I write and, and perform, but it's so, it's weird to think that there's a part of those songs that nobody will know, but me in my head when I'm playing it, unless I told somebody about it. Right. So already from the jump, my, uh, I, people literally can't access what I felt writing it or playing it which is kind of an interesting aesthetic distance from the art in a way. Cause it, it, the form it takes for me playing it is so fundamentally different than anybody hearing it, you right. know, which is a weird disconnect that I don't know that I 
processed until right now because yeah. of his deviation yeah, that's, from that's our music. Yeah. 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 I, no, and, and, there's, there's like certain things I've written where in my head, I'm like, okay, this is about a kid who has a dad who left, but he's kind of still in the picture and he comes in peripherally. And then there's a, a new stepdad who you don't, the kid doesn't like. And that's how I play through the song in my head is this is the dad. This is him leaving. This is the stepdad coming in. And that I, I don't know that I've ever thought about it specifically where the beats of the story happen, but that's what I'm thinking as I'm playing it. Also, there are lyrics that have nothing to do with that going on at the same time. So I'm holding two narratives in my head as I'm playing it. It's so fucking, my brain, is there something wrong with me? (laughs) Well, I mean, I mean, it makes sense because I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're, a, like a literary person first you know so it makes sense that you know the way a musician you know if you have a piano player who's playing you know a contrapuntal piece by Bach they've got to play multiple individual lines simultaneously you know right. sometimes four lines with just two hands yep. so it's like they've got to have those individual lines running parallel to each other so I mean the fact that you have two storylines I mean you know like yeah you're you know, your, your, your brain works with, with stories and with narratives, you know? So I think, yeah, like having the two, I mean, probably like, I feel like the, the, you know, there are tons of stories we get like that, like on TV and movies where it will like, uh, like uh, first one that popped in my head is like game of Thrones. Right. Uh-huh. You know, we've, we've essentially got multiple stories happening simultaneously right. to kind of break off into what these individual people are doing, but they also have to weave together so that they're all kind of like culminating in the same place, you know, but but for the early parts, we're kind of like, okay, now we're going to jump over to this side of the world to deal with what's going on here and then take a break or, you know, jump over here. Um, so I feel like unless you have individual people who are writing all those stories, like you, you know, it's probably one or, you know, in this case, two people. I mean, they're the two showrunners. I'm sure they have other writers working for them too, but like they've got to organize all those individual stories and have them working simultaneously so that they have their own pacing, but they're also running parallel to the you know, larger. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think it makes sense. I think, yeah, like the, 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 the thing to do would be to like embrace that and see how you can make that work for you in that setting, you know, like, um, I, I mean, I think, it's, yeah, it's I think it's too, like, it's a mnemonic device too. I think my brain yeah. is like, well, it's easy for you to remember a story. So if it, if you establish yeah. a story, the, the link with this or just what you think of when you hear it or when you thought of it the first time, I, I don't know. It's an interesting Which is a great link back to DID and the the <laughs> malleability of the human brain. <laughs> yeah, but, no, that's it. I mean, this is what the podcast is, right? This is what it was for. Is for us to for like, oh, our brains are. It is. It's so pure. It makes me happy. <laughs> well, you know, and and I wonder too, like you know, in in you know, speaking of metaphor, like the whole. I, I mean, I know that DID is a real thing. I'm not saying yeah. that's a fictional thing, but. But even though it is a real thing, I feel like it can still be a metaphor for the rest of us. Like we can find a level to connect with uh, at some point, like, you know, him, you know, yeah, absolutely that character dealing with that issue. It, it's not completely foreign to us. I mean, I'm sure we, you know, we have different personalities we bring forward depending on who we're hanging out with, you know, our, our parents versus our spouse versus our friends, you know, from, right. from earlier on, you know, and, and how to, you know, um, 
how to mesh those, you know, like, do we really want to be completely different people depending on who we're hanging out with? Because these different people have gotten to know different versions of us and we don't want to disappoint them, you know, or, you know, do we kind of blend them together and be like, this is just who I am. And it's not, not any of those versions of me, but there are just certain aspects that I kind of emphasize because they happen to mesh more with those people, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know. And I mean, I think, you know, I, I think we all do that to some degree because there, you know, there are plenty of stuff we won't talk to our parents about that we'll talk to other people about. You know, there, are, you know, ways that we act around, you know, like our our dude friends versus our, you know, if if you're a guy in a in a hetero relationship, then you're your female, you know, significant other. You know, like, and and I feel like to some degree that's natural, but you know, maybe not wanting to get to the point where you lose what's real and you're, you know, kind of faking any of those relationships, right. you know, it, is it just, are they all really you? And you're just kind of emphasizing what connects with that person or that group of people. And if they're versus, not, what does that mean? Like what, why are you doing that? And it, right. I, th- yeah. I think they, they did a great job of it. it it's, I mean, the, the journey of self-acceptance is not a new narrative concept at all. Right. Not, I mean, and what they did was they didn't make it easier. They made it more complicated. Yeah. But the, the center, the center tenant of accepting and loving yourself and forgiving yourself and acknowledging all aspects of yourself and forgiving yourself. Like that's, that's just as strong because we see it through Steven and through Mark and we see the pain and how it builds and compounds. Like it, it yeah, it, it's, it, it made a, a simple concept bigger and you could understand it more specifically because of it being bigger, you know? Yeah. And and I think, you know, I mean, and this is one of, I don't, I don't know if this is true. I'm sure there are exceptions, but I've, I've always felt that like, it's easier to have something be a metaphor when, you know, like you said, use your term when it's bigger, you know, if you, if you do something that's kind of like too specific, too personal, I feel like it's harder to dig into that and be like, how else can I interpret this? You know, whereas, you know, when you, you know, and that's, that's the nice thing about this. Like we have that, but we also have Egyptian gods, you know? So it's like, you know, we get to kind of blow this up and, and the, you know, there's that mix of, you know, reality having an abusive parent, but then also the, the, the more dramatic aspect of it where it's like, yeah, I don't know that everyone who ha- anyone who ha- everyone who has DID, you know, is secretly a mercenary killer, you know, and also secretly an assassin, you know, brutal assassin, but also this meek, you know, Egyptian fan, you know, kind of thing, you know, and like, and the fact that he, you know, that he made one of his personalities British, you know, because the character of the thing was, you know, it's like, I mean, maybe that happens. I don't know. Again, I don't. I haven't done the research, but like, I'm sure that you know, for the sake of the story and for the sake of like I said, the metaphor, you know, if, if, if we blow it up, if we make these three characters more extreme, then it's easier for other people to find themselves somewhere on the spectrum between the extreme nature of that character and reality, you know, and, and that like, you know, Oh, that, that like, you know, maybe Jake isn't a brutal killer, but he is, you know, the, the survivor aspect, the, the protector, the one that's willing to do, you know, as I, yeah, like the, you know, the more I kind of get to see it, like you think of Mark as being the violent one, 
Right. But it's just that he's, you know, then when you realize who Jake is, it's almost like Mark's more in the middle, you know, Steven's right. the more, the meeker, the nicer one. And Mark kind of does what needs to be done, but he doesn't, he doesn't love it. He doesn't kind of relish it. And, you know, there are a lot, it seems like there are lines he won't cross. Whereas with Jake, it's like, right. you yeah, know, fuck it all in, you know, that's something else I was going to say about Mark is that in that fight, that first fight where he's slapping the kid away, it's three on one and they've got knives. Mm-hmm. The man doesn't sweat it. Right. <laughs> he says, are we going? Let's go. I seriously, that shot where he's, he just pounds the screens like five times in a row. Bop, yeah. bop, don't, don't, this isn't a game to me. This is efficient. Let's get it done. So right. when, when they're at the, uh, recovering the sarcophagus again, like to get the map, like she says, I need you to buy me some time. And it's like, I can do that. So he's doing, he's chopping wood. He's, he's handling the guys. And then he gets stabbed, right? Cause Steven takes oh. over. It's like, let's time up. Like, I, I think, I think the Mr. Knight suit and that, <laughs> that characterization of him is so great. People had problems with it because Mr. Knight is supposed to be its own alter or at least is in the comics. That oh, character's okay. never had an origin. He just appeared one day. He's how he, Mark talks to the cops. I, I think it's a convoluted character. I think the suit is fucking rad and he does some cool, violent shit in the comics. It, it deserves to exist. I really like what they did in the show to kind of have that character develop. I really thought it was yeah. clever. But when he's stabbed and he sees that Layla's going to get, like, now it's serious, Mogart's going after Layla, mm-hmm. he is no longer in waste time mode. Right, breaks that shit and takes those three guys out in like half a second. Just mm-hmm. the efficiency of Mark, and that's the thing. I like how tactical he is in yeah. stuff. He's just like he's prepared in that way. He's he's grizzled. He's emotionally closed off. Like, and that's the thing. He's a that's a full character too. Steven is a complete character. There's mm-hmm. he's he has certain aspects and ticks and stuff indicative of certain characters or, or things that Oscar was looking to as inspiration, maybe being on the spectrum, maybe having this doing things that are other people find funny without any like knowledge of being funny or going out of his way to be funny. But also Mark is this closed off, emotionally scarred Marine, former Marine mercen Like he is a full character too. And it's just fascinating to see, yeah, just to, to develop Jake and to learn about that character because there's a bunch of stuff that they could do with mm. that. Yeah. Um, oh, and you also talk about the Mr. Knight costume and how, yeah, that was one of the things too. I didn't I didn't know about Mr. Knight from the comics, but I had a feeling they were kind of like weaving him in in a different way. So yeah, yeah. like, which, which is kind of neat because it opens the door to like, what is Jake Lockley's Moon Knight going to look like? You exactly. know, so we could get a whole third Moon Knight costume, you know, because of that. I don't know if you saw, but he's got like driving gloves on and there's crescent moons on the knuckles. Oh, nice. Ah, <laughs> oh, he's so good. <laughs> and I like the idea, like he, he, he's a Spanish speaking character. So where, where that came in, like the origin for that, I, I'm fascinated. Like there's so much you could do with his dad. Like there's a bunch of story potential. Yeah. Um, I was going to say my favorite moment in the, the series, my favorite scene it is um, Ethan Hawke when it's the the all of the avatars are got getting together and they're calling out Harrow, mm-hmm. and Harrow comes in and it, Oscar's doing so many things in this scene, and he's playing Mark possessed by Conchu, so he's he's playing this possession, mm-hmm. which is fascinating and so great the way he's doing it. 
and he, the way he's embodying it. But he's also playing a man whose sanity is put on, like, he's scared and he's trying to ask people for help. And Harrow comes in and he says, this man is defective. His brain doesn't work. And he says it so calmly. There's no malice in him. But the, mm-hmm. the manipulation and, and the layers to it, too, because, like, this is a former avatar of Kanchu. So he not only does Harrow know what it's like to be abused by a father figure God, this is mm-hmm. like there's all these layers, right? There's so many like parental abuse metaphors and references in this. But like not only does he know the kind of abuse Kanchu puts someone through, but he also knows that Mark has another disease and he questions he questions the sanity in the eyes of people that are trying to help somebody mm-hmm. and he's also using the, his history with them to say i was abused this person is also being abused and manipulated and they don't know what they're saying so it takes all all mark is trying to do is make good and and trying to like trying to protect and in this moment haro takes away all of his legitimacy and credibility as a person. And it's so indicative of his struggle with DID and mental health. And he says, no, I'm not well. They ask him straight out, are you unwell? Yes, I am unwell, but it doesn't matter because this is a bigger problem. Like I love the seat and he plays, he goes from this kind of grand vomit of, of possession delivery Mm -hmm. to this broken shell of a man also being manipulated by a human who knows what he's been and knows intimately how damaged he is and is using that knowledge to discredit him. I that's guardians doesn't talk about shit like that. I, I like, yeah. I, as much as I love guardians, I, I, I don't know that anything else. I, I love the character and I love the nuance of the character from the comics. I don't know that any other show or any other Marvel property makes you think this much, or is this layered in the duality of the? I, I don't know. I think it's it's unique among the MCU. I think it's unique among performers because Austin, seriously, he's playing four different fucking roles, I, right? And he does them all beautifully. I it, it, it that's the thing. He's selling every bit of that performance. Stephen and Mark. I don't have to suspend my disbelief to think of them as different people. And that's all the performance, man. Like that's the movie magic. I, yeah. And that's the thing. This, this is something, it's a big swing. You know, this is a character. Nobody cares about. Nobody knows. It's weird. There's a bunch of different things and a big fucking swing, right? If nobody liked it, well, that's a weird one. Why'd they do that? Like, I, 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 I think they've managed to make a weird one, you know? I, I... <laughs> Doctor Strange is supposed to be the weird universe, you know? <laughs> well, you know, and, and I mean, I think that's the thing is like with Doctor Strange, it's easier to look at that and be like, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to be weird. But with, with Moon Knight, yeah, I feel like they're, because they're trying to ground at least mark slash steven you know in in reality you know like i mean there's some grounding of dr strange like oh an arrogant doctor who you know thinks he's god whatever you know but then it's like oh let's bring in this eastern mysticism and like you know kind of like you know his idea oh you're gonna tell me about chakras this this that right you know but then it's like yeah and it goes kind of 
full tilt the other direction. Yeah. Um, whereas with this, yeah, it's like, I mean, I mean, it, it does have that too with all the Egyptian stuff, but, but yeah, I feel like they spend more time dealing with the reality of, of, you know, Mark and Steven than they spend with the more real aspect of Stephen Strange being that arrogant doctor, right. you know, it's like, I feel like you very quickly forget about all that, you know? Um, but yeah, like you, like it's, it's always a part of, of Moon Knight and Mark and Steven and, and Jake, I guess it's always there, you know? And yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the biggest part of it is that like, it is supposed to be different. And it's like, I think it's, it's good that Marvel and, and comic book movies in general have gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, we can kind of explore these other things instead of just being like, what's going to be the summer blockbuster, you know, and we're, we'll do that, you know? Um, yeah. Kevin you know, Smith was talking about is it. like the fact that we are at the, the, the C list and I like, that's not derogatory. That's what moon Knight is. He's a C list mm-hmm. hero. We're at the C list that they're doing weird shit. Like the fact that that exists is insane. The yeah. fact that they have, have worked through, I mean, the fact that within 15 years, we've had three different Spider-Men <laughs> And now we're to mood, but that's how many you have to have three different Spider-Man franchises, right? To then start scraping the bottom of the Marvel barrel <laughs> for Moon well, Knight. <laughs> plus, we've also, I mean, we've we've plowed through the Avengers. I mean, the Avengers as we know them are probably yeah. you know, we're never going to see that again. So it's like, yeah, it's it's all about that that second generation of like what's what's going to happen next. You know, it's like, yeah, now's the time to bring it. You know, we've had Captain America, Thor, and Iron Man. Now it's time for Moon Knight. That's that's where we're at. You know, and I think it's I think it's daring. You know, because like, you know, I think they're taking a risk because yeah, like not as many people like Moon Knight as those other characters, but I think they're you know they're banking on the fact that like number one, they've got enough of a following and, and done enough films to kind of prove themselves that like, even if a, only a small percentage of people are really into Moon Knight, it's not going to be like, okay, the comic book movie franchise is done. We're, we're stopping that. It's like, right. like, yeah, like you don't have to like every, every Marvel movie and TV show. Like not everything is for every person, you know? And, and I think that's, I think that's a great place to be. I think that's a, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's a good sign that they can cater to this, small niche group of Marvel fans who are into Moonlight, you know, and say like, yeah, like we're doing this for you guys. If this isn't, you know, I mean, it was a Disney plus show and not a a film. So, I mean, that, that says a little bit that it's like, you know, we're going to try it, but you know, we don't, we don't trust enough to give it its own movie. But I don't know. I mean, in some ways, giving a six hour story is a, that's what I was going to say. It's three movies. It's a trilogy, man. Like that. Yeah. It's, it's also interesting that it seems to be a way to appeal to a more auteur actor, director, writer thing too. Cause like there's a bunch of animosity in the film industry about Marvel films of like, we can't get any work. Well, it's like, okay, we've got to tell an intimate, interesting kind of indie experimental story within this larger commercial framework. So I think that's also something that they're trying to is like, okay, if these shows are boutique and interesting, then we can also get, we can add more actors and directors and creatives to the utility belt and do more genre stuff within this larger genre context too. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I feel like they're already kind of doing that. I mean, I feel like that was, kind of apparent when they did like you know captain america iron man and thor like how different the genres oh yeah, yeah. different yeah, yeah 
And then also with like with the TV shows when they did Daredevil and then Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, yeah. and like, you know, so I feel like, yeah, like that's, it's, I mean, they were doing that with bigger characters, but like, yeah, like I think they've, they've proven that that's, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't even say that it like it, 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 I will admit it was weird when you finally see those three characters on screen for the first time in Avengers, you know, because we were so used to what the genre of the cat film right. was, the genre of the Iron Man, the genre of the Thor, that when they're together, but I almost wonder if that's part of the point, you know, it's like these worlds colliding. And that's the point is that these three people who don't match, they have to somehow work together and make a team, you know, right. By infinity war and Endgame, Now they really feel like they're all part of the same universe. You know, right. um, I'm thinking of like the, the genres leading up in it, within the phases, right. The genres that those characters films kind of fall into kind of have, they're, they're more traditional. Right. I, I would think like, Historical drama, espionage, mm-hmm. like a tech-driven, <laughs> huh? Fantasy for Thor. Fantasy, elevated yeah. fantasy kind of. What I'm thinking is like now we're getting into like, I mean, Loki was kind of Twilight zone and so was mm. uh, WandaVision, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, to a certain point, then it gets to be lasers in the sky and stuff. Um mm-hmm. Which they we 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 nearly got a giant purple laser in this one, but we no giant lasers at the end of this movie. Just a giant fucking owl or crocodile lady eating souls. Um, That's so fucking cool. It's like oh kaiju, we get Egyptian kaiju. This is, this is everything I've ever watched. This is also, okay. Here's another thing: the specificity of what this show was is so for me it hurts i don't like i don't know that anything has ever been so perfectly catered to me mm-hmm. in terms of egyptian mythology it's fight club meets indiana jones they played wham in the first episode man like <laughs> wake me up before you go go i was like this is, he's driving a fucking cupcake truck in the swiss alps and wham is playing like if that's not for me i don't know what is <laughs> and then in the end, like it's Moon Knight, so also excellent. And then the costumes are outstanding. The combat is outstanding. And then giant Egyptian kaiju, it's it's Gods of Egypt meets Stargate meets Batman meets Moon Knight meets Fight Club. Like how is and that that's the other thing. It's like oh oh they made what was in my head, and it's doing okay. People, people are beating it with sticks. Like it's so weird. Like seriously, it's it's so strange to be. I mean, everything's made for me, right? Like straight passing, white cis male, all of these things. Like the the specificity of my taste is weird. It's weird that they don't just appeal to me on a like a, a, a general. It's just the specific nature of this mm-hmm. thing. I seriously wham in the first episode i was done i was like okay you like you didn't have to do anything else after that it would have been perfectly like and then dude like the score did you can we talk about the score real quick i'm gonna turn it oh yeah honestly when i heard the score i was like okay they nailed it they they get they did exactly what i was hoping they would do oh yeah and so that that's that's what i hoped in my head it would sound like something like that i mean there's so many there's there's bits of the batman forever theme in it there's bits of the Voyager, the Star Trek Voyager theme in it, and, and it, it's a grand kind of orchestral ballsy score. I thought it was really impressive. What, did, what were you thinking? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, you know, and I was, I'm glad that they went in that. So, you know, and again, like a lot of the stuff I've been talking about with, oh, this, this kind of hybrid of, you know, all these different genres, but that, yeah, that there was that sort of like Middle Eastern flavor to like the, I don't know if it was meant to be Moon Knight's theme or like Conchu's theme or, you know, um, but yeah, it definitely had that sort of really kind of bringing in the, the parts that came before it and saying like, okay, this is the best of kind of all these things. And I like that it was, it was also different, you know, like it wasn't, uh, you know, Moon Knight as scored by Hans Zimmer or Moon Knight right. as scored by Danny Elfman. You yeah. know, it was like, it was its own thing. It was almost more, and I mean, this as a compliment, more subtle, you know, than, oh, yeah. if, than if either of those two had tackled it, you know, like where, you know, and and I think it's it, it's great to have Danny Elfman score a superhero film. Like, I mean, oh, I haven't yeah. seen, you know, uh, Multiverse of Madness yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the music of it, you know, and, and all of that. But like, you know, it, it was nice to say like, okay, this isn't that. This isn't your Spider-Man or Avengers or Doctor Strange. This is something different. This is, you know, and it was more... Uh, yeah, it was, it was exactly what it needed to be for the character, this, this, this amalgam, you know, of things. Um, I don't know. And, and again, I haven't seen Dune yet. And I know that Hans Zimmer did a bunch of like stuff with like, you know, experimenting with different instruments and instruments from different cultures on that. Um, which, I mean, that's also a different thing. It's like, okay, this is this, I don't know if it's like future or some other planet or whatever. I don't know exactly the story to Dune, but this, it, it didn't seem like, okay, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. Like this is a, a tradition of music that has existed on this planet from a specific country that we're referencing a ton of, but it's also, you know, it's not Lawrence of Arabia, you know, this is right. today. So, so I feel like it was, it was that perfect mix that it needed to but, be of all those elements, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It has the, the DNA and the, 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 the instrumentation and those kind of notes, like music. Right, the scales and the, the, yeah, like it, it has that Egyptian flavor, which you would expect, but again, it's not like, if you're scoring appropriate in the past. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's not exoticized in that way where it's like, Oh, the strange, I like, I don't know. It, it, it felt, no, it felt like an old school theme. Like it felt like if Elfman was coming in now, like if, if somebody was doing a, a superhero score, I don't, I don't know. Like it had, it had that kind of eighties and nineties influence to it. It felt like, okay, let's go back to original recipe. Let's, let's see what we can do with this. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no, I, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was, yeah, it was a good mix of, of being, yeah, of being, you know, referencing the, the, the culture and the, you know, that element, but, but still being modern, you know, and, and current and not, you know, um, yeah. Like, I, I think that's part of it too, is like, I mean, again, like I, I do like a lot of Danny Elfman stuff, but it definitely has his stamp on it, you know, and oh, yeah. I feel like, you know, you can say like, Oh, like, you know, again, like how, if you, you know, give three different composers the same prompts and say, incorporate this, this, and this, they're going to do it three completely different ways. And you can probably recognize them. So I thought it was interesting having this like new composer that I didn't know and have it be like, oh, okay. Like it's just the music, you know, I'm not thinking of it in terms of, you know, oh, this is what Hans Zimmer did with this prompt. This is like, oh, this is like, you know, some, some new person I've never heard of, you know, kind of getting to take a stab at this. And I mean, I'm guessing the composer was Egyptian. Like from what I saw in the name, I was like, Oh, okay. Like, I think he is. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, So it's like, it's like, great. Yeah. Like, you know, that, that's what should be happening here. Even though, you know, Mark is American, like there's such a big tie, you know, like, um, although I think I had said this at one point time before that 
it would be interesting if if Kanchu is all in Mark's head to have a white composer scoring that because just as like this Egyptian stuff is Mark, this white guy's interpretation right. of what Egyptian is, having a white guy do an, his interpretation of, of Egyptian music. But so I think it, it adds to the credibility that what you're hearing is is more authentic, you know, because these gods and this whole culture is real. It's not just mythology. So I don't at the end of the second episode where the, uh, they're like, where are we going to go? And Kanchu's like, where the hell do you think we're going? <laughs> Egypt. <laughs> yeah. And then over the credits, they play this Egyptian rap song called El Malouk. And I am obsessed with it. It's oh, so right. friggin' good. It's it's like the California love of fucking Egypt. It's outstanding. Like it, it's so hard. Like it gets you so hyped. I have no idea. Well, I've watched a couple of translation videos, so I know a little bit of what it's. It's all boasting. Like it's great. It's outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fuck you and the click you claim, but Egyptian. <laughs> but make it Egyptian. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Well, that's about enough of that. <laughs> and here's Tim. <laughs> here's Tim with the final word. I don't have one. We'll yeah. see you next time. <laughs>